Lord, as we stand here and before we turn to dwelling and meditating on your word to us this morning, we just want to give you thanks, Lord, that you and you alone are in the business of breaking the chains uh, that can sometimes hold us back from being those people that you have created us to be and that you call us to be, Lord. And Father, Lord, we pray this morning that in the name of Jesus and by the power of his Spirit, Lord, that you would be in the business once again today of breaking chains and breaking strongholds over people's lives that are preventing them from accessing the fullness of the grace and the goodness and the blessing that you have for us and that you long to pour over us today. So our prayer is, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, and by the power of your word, Lord, uh, we pray that there would be new creations uh, in this place today and that we would leave this place today more secure than we have ever been in our identity as children of the living God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, I want to begin this morning actually by, by thanking Rodney for the, uh, for the reading. When I was uh, looking over uh, First Chronicles this week and praying through uh, what the Lord might have to say to us today, and all I could see was this list of names, uh, and I thought if I give that to Rodney or whoever's reading this morning, there will be a riot. Um, so I, I, I went for a passage where that, that does refer to the genealogies, and uh, we're going to think about that uh, a little bit today. But... Um, to get us into this this morning, I want to think about a story that uh, I heard uh, a few years ago, actually, and it was a story about a series of uh, what happened in America just after American uh, election, and I was reminded of it uh, this week because obviously the, uh, the starting gun, so to speak, has been fired on the 2024 uh, American uh, presidential election campaign this week. Uh, and the story that I heard uh, several years ago, a true story, uh, was about uh, President Carter not long uh, after he had been elected. And he and his entourage of security officials and media people uh, decided one day that they wanted to go and tour around a nursing home. And they went to this nursing home, and the president was delighted to be there, and the residents were delighted to see him. But as he went from person to person uh, in the nursing home, he noticed one woman sitting there who seemed completely disinterested in this big uh, event uh, that was going on in the lives of the people that were there. And months of campaigning and months of working the room and months of uh, pressing the flesh had taught him that if this happened, the media would probably pick up on it, so make sure to go up to the person who seemed disinterested and to be especially kind to that person. So he went up uh, to the lady. He smiled uh, at the lady. He gently put a hand onto her shoulder. He gently touched her frail hand. She smiled at him, but said absolutely nothing. And at this point, the encounter was becoming incredibly awkward. And finally, he said to her, do you know who I am? And the lady replied, uh, no, but sir, if you ask that lady over there at the nurse's desk, she'll tell you. <laughs> I sometimes think when somebody asks in life, do you know who I am? It implies that their identity can come from 
the position that they hold. Uh, so it could be in a family, it could be in a workplace, uh, whatever it might be. But I think that actually deep down, a much more challenging question for all of us, a much more difficult question for any single person in this room and any person on this earth to answer is, do I know who I am? And do I really know who I am? And I think that question is really difficult because the answer that we give to that question is the difference between whether we will live fulfilling lives or not. I'm sure many of you in the room here, like me, have enjoyed over the years that uh, BBC program, that series that's been going for about 20 years or something now, uh, Who Do You Think You Are? It's been running for, for many, many years. It's still pulling in about uh, six, seven million viewers every time uh, it's put on, which is quite remarkable, actually, given the, the whole number of um, sort of live streaming things and viewing platforms and catch-up services. To get six, seven million people uh, for a BBC program these days is quite something. And the program features each time it's on a celebrity. And that celebrity will trace through their family history uh, with the help of a genealogist, someone who's uh, an expert uh, in tracing family history. And I think it's quite interesting because it usually turns up a surprise. So one of the most famous ones was the time when renowned East End geezer, uh, not my words, but his own words, uh, Danny Dyer uh, from EastEnders, uh, was sitting going through his. And it turned out, in fact, that he was a direct descendant of King Edward III. But I have to say that uh, my favorite ones uh, tend to be the ones whereby you get someone who's very well-to-do in society, very high up in society, some uh, high-functioning socialite, uh, and they're sitting there in some plush library, uh, and this expert is tracing through uh, the story of their family with them, and the cameras uh, are rolling, and then the expert uh, will break it to the person that, in fact, uh, they are the direct descendant of a gang of notorious criminals and you see the color draining from their, their face as, uh, as this happens. So we have these programs that are really uh, popular and we have family history groups and there's apps and there's websites these days uh, that will allow you to trace the names of your ancestors uh, and to build your own family tree. And I think all of these things are really popular because deep down they tap into this deep yearning that every single one of us as human beings has, which is to discover more about who we really are. Which brings us to Chronicles that we have been reading this week. And I want to be very honest uh, from the very start here. I want to uh, probably uh, tap into where, where you're at, uh, perhaps with Chronicles uh, this week. Um, I'm not going to stand here and pretend that the opening bits of Chronicles are probably anywhere near as popular as an episode of Who Do You Think You Are? It's quite challenging reading. And I think deep down, probably even some of us wondered over the last few days if it was the equivalent of the Hebrew telephone book that we were reading. At first glance, it is tempting to wonder what the relevance of it all is for us today, and we can easily get lost in the detail of all of these names. So I think what we should start by doing today is taking a step back from all of this and thinking about the bigger picture here 
and thinking, uh, first of all, about why these first chapters of Chronicles were written. So, what they do is they trace the bloodlines of the people of Israel right back to Adam, the father of the human race. And they go via Jacob, the father of the twelve tribes of Israel, the descendants of Israel, the reign and the king, the reign and the death of King Saul, and the reign of David. So why was it written? It was written, interestingly, at a time after the people of Israel had returned from a long period of captivity at the hands of the Babylonians. There's something very significant in that, both for them and I think for us today. I think it's an important reminder to us that for any of us here, after we have gone through a particularly challenging season in our lives, a time of confusion, a time of pain in our lives, as all of us do, it can be good to take a step back from all of that and not to obsessively dwell on the events themselves, wondering why it happened, wondering what its purpose is, because we'll not get very far if we tend to do that in life, because most of the time we do not get answers to those questions when we go through these challenging situations in our lives. I think much better is to take a step back from those things and actually to make space and to take time to remember who we are, to remember God's goodness to us, to remember how faithful He has been to us, and from that to go about rebuilding ourselves by reclaiming, by giving thanks for the people that God has made us to be. And when we do that, we will find our confidence again, and we'll find our purpose again, because we will have found our identity again as those who worship Him, because we trust that no matter what it is that we go through, He is working all things out. So, the timing of the writing of all of this is really important, but of course, the contents of it are extremely important too. Because what we've got here at the start of Chronicles doesn't just point us back to Adam. It also points forward to Jesus. And that is because two of the New Testament gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, will use the first chapter of their gospels, their accounts of Jesus' life, to trace Jesus' lineage back through Joseph, and right back to this line of David, and Judah, and Jacob, and Isaac, and Abraham, and right back to Adam, this account that we are reading about today at the start of Chronicles. Why do they bother doing any of that? Well, they do it because it establishes that Jesus is who He said He was. They do it because it links Jesus right back to Adam via this genealogy that we have in Chronicles. 
And it's the gospel writer's way of showing us that God's great rescue plan that had been talked about, had been prophesied for the whole world, has indeed come into being. That Jesus Christ is indeed the long-awaited Messiah who will bring God's blessing to all about, to all of humanity. So these genealogies, these chronicles that we get, are all about authority. It's all about saying that these accounts of Jesus that we read about in the Bible are true, that it is legitimate, and in turn, it's about saying to us that because Jesus Christ is indeed the long-awaited Messiah, and that because everything that had been said about Him being the Son of God is true, then it follows that every single thing that He says about us must also be true. And that is the ultimate relevance of this genealogy, because it is the story of who we are as followers of Christ. And it is the story of who we really are. Remember that in John's gospel, we're told this. To everyone who received him, who received Christ Jesus into their lives, he gave them the right to be children of God. He gave that right to those who believe in his name. Let's remind ourselves this morning that when we accept Jesus Christ into our lives, it's not just about the fact that our destiny is secure. It's not just about the fact that we will pass through the valley of the shadow of death into a new heaven and a new earth and a new life. All of those things are incredibly important. But it's also about the fact that the minute that we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we take on a new identity and we take on an extremely precious identity as part of God's family. That is not to say that our human bloodline is no longer important. Of course it is. But first and foremost, we become children of the living God. We are adopted into God's spiritual family. As Paul in his letter to the Corinthians puts it like this, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. For some of us today uh, in this room, the history of blood families, the history of our blood families, can be very challenging and can even be very painful histories. That is just a fact of life. And that happens for all sorts of complex reasons. But Christ tells us that we are first and foremost part of His spiritual family. And He tells us that when we put our trust in Him, we are new creations. And so you and I today need to understand and need to know who we are in Christ, if we are to live our lives as God intended, and if we are to fulfill our unique purpose. 
And so the more that you agree with God about your identity in Christ, and the sooner that you agree with God that your identity is to be formed in Christ, then the sooner and the more your behavior will begin to reflect your God-given identity. And so if you haven't done so already, you need to learn and all of us need to continue learning to see ourselves, not as the world sees us, not as others see us, but to learn every single day in this great journey of life that we are on, to see ourselves as God sees us. Because it is God's opinion that is the one that really counts. Understanding who we are in Christ will give us the strongest foundation that we could possibly have to build our lives on. And knowing who we are in Christ is the key to a successful life and a life lived on purpose. Because, you know, every single person in this room here is very complex. We are all complex human beings. And often we can be very vulnerable human beings. And often we can be extremely fragile human beings. And especially so if we do not cling on to who we really are. And I think that is especially true in a world where there is so much confusion and chaos and misunderstanding. And we can so easily allow the world around us to define who we are. And that is why it is no coincidence that there are so many studies that have appeared in recent years that all point to the same conclusion. And the conclusion is this. How we see ourselves largely determines how we will act and how we will react to things in life. And so self-perception, self-worth, self-esteem tend to be the great watchwords, the great governing factors in our lives. What does any of that mean? Well, what it means is this. If we begin to see ourselves as lacking worth, then to a very large degree we will end up acting as if our lives are worthless. If we see ourselves as victims, then we will tend to let other people victimize us. If we see ourselves as uncreative, then we will be those who don't even bother trying to come up with any creative ideas. If we see ourselves as average, then we'll begin to think that nothing good could ever come about in our lives. This whole philosophy that has grown up, especially in the Western world in recent years, to say, put yourself at the center of everything and you'll be all right, has caused some of the most profound problems that we are experiencing in society today. Why? because it is based on a fundamental falsehood. The reality is this. The reality is that your true identity does not depend on something you do, does not depend on anything you have done. Your true identity is who God says you are. 
the other deceit we fall for is that we allow other people to say who we are. Now, it's good in life when people give us encouragement and all the rest of it. Sometimes it can be negative. Whatever it happens to be, it is not the ultimate authority in who we are. And you know, I want to say this morning that there will be people here, there will be people we know, and there may have been something that was said to you right back in your childhood, and it has never left you, and it has held you back from being the person that God has created you to be, because words are stinging, words are powerful. There are people here today who will know what it is when that little voice comes into your head sometimes and will say to you, you're just average at things. You've nothing to contribute. You're from the wrong sort of family. You don't have the right connections to succeed. You're no good to anyone. You're not up to this. You're not the sort of person who's ever going to get anywhere. And sometimes the most destructive of all, you're a failure and you've brought your plight all on yourself. If you're here today and you are trapped by any such negative thought patterns, then today is the day to ask the Lord Jesus to break those chains and to wipe all of that out of your life. Because each and every one of those words comes from an unauthorized source. The only authorized source of who you are is God himself. And no character assassination will ever come from God. Yes, there will be times in our lives when the Holy Spirit will prompt us from time to time about specific things that we have done and that we need to correct, and hallelujah for it, because those are good things when the Lord intervenes like that and He prompts us to correct something that we have done. That's bringing us back into line with His will. But God will never condemn our entire character. He will never condemn your entire being, and He will never write you off because that is not how he sees us. Listen to what he says to us through one of the letters in the Bible. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are a chosen people. You are special. You are his people. You are recipients of his grace. In other words, you are accepted. You are valued. You are capable. And you are forgiven. 
These are the pillars of truth that we need to build our identity and our self-esteem on. It is not about how we see ourselves. It is not about how others see us. It is not about what the world tells us we are. It is about how God sees us, and how He sees us is recorded in the authority of His Word. You are loved. You are chosen. You are accepted. You are a child of God. You may have heard these things many, many times over the years. You may have read these things in Scripture many, many times over the years. Today is the day to invite the Lord to write these things on your hearts and not just in your heads. You are a temple of God. His Spirit and His life lives in you. You are redeemed and forgiven. You are complete in Christ Jesus. You are free from condemnation. You are a new creation. You are chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. You are established, you are anointed, you are sealed by God. You do not have a spirit of fear. You do not have a spirit of fear. You have a spirit of love, a spirit of power, and you have a sound mind. You are God's co-worker. He has called you to special things. You are chosen to bear fruit. You are valuable to the Lord. And you can always know the presence of God because he will never leave you. So who do you think you are? It's entirely the wrong question. It's entirely the wrong question. The only question that matters is, who does God tell you that you are? So claim your identity. Stand firm in who you are. Know who you are. Take to heart what God says about you. Allow yourself to become everything that God has created you to be. Do not allow yourself to be written off. Do not allow yourself to be spoken about negatively. Do you not allow yourself to be defined negatively. Break those chains in the power of the Holy Spirit. Speak truth over those chains in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do not allow anything that you are going through in life to be the sum total of who you are. Do not allow any condition that you have, be it a health condition or anything else, to define who you are. But get up every day 
and remind yourself of who you really are. As David did in the Psalms, when he declared this, for you, Lord, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. And I know that full well. Let's pray together.